This week, I want to talk about grief and loss and love. I'm going to talk about one of my favorite movies, which I left off my list. The Crow, 1994, starring Brandon Lee and Ernie Hudson. If you are uncomfortable with discussions of death and grief and dying, um, just as a trigger warning, you may want to avoid this episode and jump to the next one. Uh, But if you are okay with listening to this, then this is the episode for you. The Crow from 1994 is... A film that's a powerful, dark, sad uh, test to grief, anger, revenge, things that we all feel and ultimately love. It's interesting talking about this film because it's impacted my life in so many ways. Some I realized at the time and others that have kind of warmed their way into my soul over the years. And I've had a lot of time to think about why I've been so impacted by this film. Um, But before I talk about the film, I have to talk about the incredible graphic novel that the film was inspired by, by the singular talent of the artist James O'Barr. I think that this graphic novel is one of the finest graphic novels of all time in terms of emotional teleportation and the depth of feeling. I think it ranks up there with and maybe over some of the greatest graphic novels of ever, uh, which I include Watchmen and the Sandman series by Neil Gaiman. The thing about those graphic novels, that if you're a comic book fan, they're wonderful, but I don't feel any sort of emotional attachment to those novels, to the content. They're great, they're absorbing, but when I read those, I don't feel anything with the crow. I feel something. My soul is stirred. And then with the movie, even more so. Um, And I think that if you can connect with yourself on an emotional level about loss, if you read this novel or you watch the film, you will be moved. Um, Yeah, you definitely will be. Now, for myself, I kind of came to the novel late. I didn't even realize that the film was based on a graphic novel until years, years and years later. Um, So I came to knowing about The Crow through the film uh, because of the late, great Brandon Lee. And for me, the movie was kind of a marriage of the gothic, amazing music, and then grief. That was all kind of tied up into the film. So if you haven't read the graphic novel, and when I say graphic, I do mean graphic because it is a, a violent piece, and I'll kind of tell you why it is. But it the it's in black and white, and the book is just, it's, it's beautiful. Um, I encourage you to, if you read graphic novels and you say, yeah, I want to go out and watch uh, Read the Crow, buy this special edition copy. I think it's the 30th anniversary uh, because there's additional things that the artist added in because the graphic novel was created in the 80s so since then he's had a lot of time to reflect and add things back in and do some things that he didn't that he couldn't do when he was younger but um you know it's filled with unforgettable imagery that'll break your heart and but while also making you believe in love and that love 
through love, we can transcend our physical bodies. And the reason I came to know about The Crow was because I was a huge admirer and follower of Brandon Lee, who, if you don't know who Brandon Lee is, he was the son of the late martial arts master Bruce Lee. And almost anybody, even if you don't do martial arts, you've probably heard of Bruce Lee. I've studied different styles of martial arts over the years, and like a lot of practitioners, you know, I followed all the different martial arts, martial artists turned actors, starting with Bruce Lee and then Chuck Norris, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Steven Seagal, Philip and Simon Rhee, Cynthia Rothrock, etc. But for me, there was something about Brandon Lee that I identified with more than anybody else. We were the exact same age at the time. Our, our body types are very similar. We're both kind of long and lean. And Brandon seemed to move with a, a beautiful athletic grace that was even more wonderful to watch than his father. His father was like a coiled tiger, but Brandon Lee was, I don't know what it was about him, but I felt more of a kinship, even though I never met the man. I know this sounds weird, but I just, but watching him and listening to him in interviews and reading about him, I just felt more of a kinship with him than his father. Um, and I kind of thought, man, this guy, he's destined for greatness. And then I heard about the Crow movie. Um, now, The Crow is interesting because it is a gothic movie through and through, but it's not a horror film. Um, but it's definitely a wash in what I call the gothic. All the goth gothic aesthetic kind of seeps from every pore and fiber of the frame. And the tropes that I've been talking about in this podcast are definitely all there. Um, but just to kind of talk about a few things, it's set in Detroit, Michigan, and on the night before Halloween they call it Devil's Night where criminal elements of the city they kind of set fire to different places and the way it is portrayed in the film it's like a descent into Dante's Inferno and each reel of the movie keeps bringing us closer and closer and closer to that circle of hell for Eric Draven um, there's also a constant raining overcast skies which is right in line uh, with gothic elements that I've seen in movies, you know, the Hammer films, and almost any sort of gothic horror, gothic romance movie, there's always seems to be lightning and rain plays a particular highlight, which goes back to the trope of, you know, the environment. The Crow also featured a propulsive music soundtrack that it featured a lot of the artists of the 90s that were gothic, you know, that that sort of influenced and were influenced by the gothic movement. I'm talking about The Cure, Nine Inch Nails, etc. There's lots of others. And it's so strange because I have listened to this soundtrack probably almost every year of my life. And even though it's it was made in the 90s, you know, I mean, since this movie came out, I got the soundtrack and then now I have it on my playlist on Amazon Music or something. And I just listened to it, you know, all the time and I don't know exactly why but probably for the same reason I'm, that I watch and read things about gothic horror because it, the soundtrack feels gothic to me and the director Alex Proyas he kind of infused the spirit of James O'Barr's novel with his film kind of mirroring the darkness and you know that, that unfolds throughout the film but also the love that's shared by Eric and his fiance Shelley and he wrote in an introduction to his special edition of The Crow, this is James O'Barr, um, he talked about how he named his faded lovers for Victorian Gothic uh, 
artists and characters. For instance, he named his character Shelley after Mary Shelley, author of Frankenstein. And he named Eric Draven, the, the protagonist of The Crow, the movie and the film, after Eric from Phantom of the Opera. So it's interesting that there is this tie-in, which I didn't even realize until I was preparing to make this podcast. I didn't realize I had to reread that. So there's a direct connection between Gothic artists and creations of the past going up through the 80s and then going through the 90s and now extending to to the current time. Another interesting thing about The Crow is that the artist James O'Barr, he wrote and drew this story out of grief and rage. The love of his life at the time had been killed in a senseless act of violence and he didn't he needed an outlet to express his frustration at her death. And I think that's something we can all kind of relate to because we've all had someone close to us die, whether it be a family member or a pet. We just recently lost a pet. And I think maybe this kind of sparked me thinking about grief. You know, he was a puppy, but I thought, how can you become so attached to a soul? And then when they're taken from you, then you feel this empty space. And whether it's an animal or a human, we've all kind of experienced this. And then I think oh, James O'Barr, through this kind of gothic tale of revenge and love, he was able to lift himself out of the depths of his sadness and, and live again. And I think that is what good art does. And I'm talking about you know any kind of art, whether it's music or a painting, a novel, just anything, you know, a, a movie that you may like. I think if it can transcend the confines of what it is, and make us feel something. Uh, I think that's the beauty of art. And maybe, I don't know if that's what I see in the Gothic, but in a tale like this, I definitely see that where you have to kind of go through darkness and then you end up coming out into the light. And not all Gothic tales are like this. There are lots that end and stay mired in darkness. And Edgar Allan Poe was definitely famous for this. There wasn't a lot of light in his stories. But... I like to feel like there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and so when I, I just watched this film just right before recording this and I read, I reread the graphic novel a couple of days ago and I'm still touched by the love that is infused throughout the pieces. And I mean the novel and the, the movie even amidst the tropes of gothic horror or gothic romance. And I'm saying for this one, since it's really not horror, it's really a movie and a graphic novel that are infused with the gothic, the gothic aesthetic, I'd say. Now, of course, I want to tie this all back to the podcast because, you know, this is about gothic horror or gothic romance. And I want to kind of place the gothic tropes against this film to kind of see how they stack up. Um, so going back to my list, let's talk about the grotesque and dark subject matter. And here's a spoiler alert. If you haven't read the graphic novel or seen the movie, Eric and Shelley are killed in the very first few minutes of the film. So that's not a massive spoiler. I mean, the movie's been out for 20-something years. So, um, But that, I, again, I'm not going to spoil and sh- t- talk about the entire film, but I, I will talk about the tropes. 
but the attack that's on them i still find it difficult to watch it's it's kind of grotesque and it is horrifying and it's kind of shown in snippets and in a flashback but there's a gang of killers and they're the very epitome of grotesque brutes i think and they seem to take pleasure in robbing and assaulting and victimizing other um so again now trigger warning you could find this uh upsetting so i think that if that if you do then maybe skip over those first few minutes of the film i couldn't tell you exactly where they are but it's probably the first five minutes of the film because you'll get you'll know enough to see that there is a crime scene and then i would skip over that and then go to the next part um because it it, it it was even disturbing to me as i was watching it but it's necessary necessary in terms of eric draven's journey through this film now let's talk about the supernatural because there are there is the element of the supernatural because Eric is reincarnated and somehow brought back by mysterious crow. And I was doing some research about crows that the crow and other birds throughout history, different cultures have recognized them as harbingers or shall I say conductors of souls between the land of the living and the realm of the dead. And I think it was very interesting that James O'Barr used this particular creature as a spiritual gateway, per se, between Eric, who is dead, and Eric, who's then reincarnated. Um, and then in this particular, in the movie, in both the movie and the graphic novel, Eric seems to gain some sort of supernatural strength, and he's got like a bit he can heal and he also has the ability i don't remember this so much in the graphic novel but in the film they visualize it where he can actually see through the eyes of the crow in the graphic novel the crow speaks to him kind of and it kind of pushes him and it's telling him take revenge but that element is left out of the film i think it makes the film stronger for that because i think simply by the fact that eric can see the people that he wants to take revenge on through the eyes of this bird i think it kind of actually makes it a little bit more powerful now let's talk about the gothic elements. Uh, if you recall, I talked about that their gothic environments are usually desolate or remote crumbling castles, underground lairs, etc. In The Crow, Detroit, the city of Detroit, as it's referenced here, is a gothic environment. It's rain-slicked. There are overbearing urban buildings that are abandoned, it seems like it's really like an industrial wasteland filled with debris and garbage and abandoned warehouses and burned out fire traps. And then there are all the burning fires that are happening all over Detroit. And as the crow flies over, we kind of get a bird's eye view, no pun intended, of the Darth dark gothic structures of the city rising high into the night sky. And even the hideout, the headquarters of the, the gang... Uh, I think Top Dollar was the, the the main leader of the gang. His high rise seems even taller than other buildings. It seems to kind of lean over and look down on the city where all the terrified residents are scurrying from place to place. And I don't mean that in a literal sense, but just you, we get a sense in watching this film that the criminal element is really brooding over any control of just the citizens of the city. I also took some other notes as I was watching it again. This is about the 
the environment. Um, there's a church which overlooks the cemetery where both Eric and Shelley are buried. And even their grave, their headstones, they look like they're ripped right out of a gothic movie um, where they, just the size of them and the how massive they look and the architecture of the church is very, very gothic or Victorian. Um, and even the building where they live, their apartment building, um, there's... It's so interesting because it's really dark, especially after this has been abandoned because the, the, the main story takes place a year after they've been murdered. Um, and the building is filled with trash and litter and it's dark and the stairways are dark and everything's oppressive. And so it's... The director, Alex Price, he definitely built a, uh, a bleak, gothic-infused environment. You know, the more I think about this film is... It definitely is echoing all the tropes that you would see in any sort of gothic horror movie, even though there is they don't really lean into the horror in this particular film. But another direct connection is that when Eric Draven is back to life, he's when he comes back to life and he's looking for information on the gang who killed them, and he's also trying to find an the wedding ring that he gave Shelley for their engagement, he quotes lines from Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, which I thought was amazing. Another trope um, in this film is uh, the person's in distress. And really, there's no one single person in this film that's in distress. Sarah, the young girl, uh, for like a, a few minutes in the third act, maybe. But, well, I would say the person who is in distress in the crow is Eric Draven. He's in distress because he was dead and he's pulled back into the land of the living. And then he's in distress because he's having visions of his life before and uh, the people who took Shelly from him. And then he's in distress because he really longs to, to connect with Shelly and to get back to her. So I would say in this one, as opposed to somebody's chasing somebody or doing something else. It's really about Eric Draven and his spiritual distress, I would say. And then there's also the sense of isolation that I mentioned in, in these other uh, episodes. Eric Draven is the very definition of isolated. You know, he was killed, murdered, and then he was resurrected. And then he was isolated from his fiance Shelley because she was murdered, but she did not come back. So basically, Eric's a walking ghost. And the only people he can, the only connections that he has are with Sarah, the little girl who was their friend, Detective Albrecht, and the crow. Uh, really, those are his only connections. So other than that, he's, he's isolated. And also, the film is shrouded in mystery, which I think is really interesting. I mean, sure, there's tension and fear. I don't really, maybe some suspense, because it's really not that kind of movie. But, you know, there's questions like, why was Eric brought back to life? What is the crow? And, you know, the movie and the book never really explain what the crow is. I mean, you can, you can guess, you know, I can harbor, hazard a guess and think, okay, it is a harbinger uh, or a ferryman taking souls from one side to the other. But it's never really, really explained. 
you know, also other questions are, will Eric take revenge on the gang who murdered him and Shelly? Um, you know, will Top Dollar, the leader, will he kill the crow? And by extension, will he kill Eric before Eric can find redemption or find Sarah in that third act? Um, and I think for me, the main question was will Eric's soul be reunited with Shelly after he completes his quest, his vengeance? You know, is he going to get to see Sarah? I'm sorry, is he going to get to see Shelly again? Because that's the whole reason I think that he was brought back. Yeah, sure, to enact vengeance, but as I kind of mentioned earlier, even though there is violence and vengeance in this film, this film and the graphic novel are ultimately about how we go from grief back to life and how we can hold on to love, even for those who aren't here with us. So, interesting questions. And as I've talked about in other episodes, there's often a character who possesses some sort of psychic connection or link or ability. And in both the graphic novel and the film, Eric shares his psychic connection and link with the crow. But in the book, the crow actually speaks to him, which is, it's easy to make that seem okay in a book as opposed to in a film, it might come off as a little silly. Although they did just pull something like that off in one of the episodes of the Sandman series on Netflix. I believe there was a raven that was talking to, uh, to dream. I think at some point in time, you all can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure there was a raven. There was a talking raven, um, and it didn't look. It, it wasn't stupid because they treated everything so serious and had this fantastical quality. So they probably could have pulled it off in the crow as well. But, but again, they share this psychic connection. And the last thing I want to talk about is the gothic language. As I mentioned before, some of the tropes that I like to apply to this, uh, to see whether a movie is gothic or not is whether there's gothic or formalized language and again as I mentioned in probably the first episode not all of these elements have to be present in order for it to be gothic but if a majority of these tropes are there then I consider it gothic again this is just my definition of gothic sometimes gothic horror gothic romance etc but uh, so there really is no formalized language with the only exception of when Eric quotes lines from the Raven poem written by Edgar Allan Poe. Um, so that felt very gothic to me. And when I rewatched it, I went, oh, wow. I don't know how I missed this. I mean, I'm sure I saw it in the first film. I mean, when I, the first time I saw the film, I know I saw it, but I, for some reason, I missed it. So my verdict on The Crow, um, both the movie and the graphic novel, I think, are intense expressions of grief and love. And it's made all the more bittersweet by the tragic death of Brandon Lee while filming the movie. And I probably should have led with that. I don't know if those of you who've seen the movie already probably know this, but if you've not seen The Crow, um, it's just good to be aware that, unfortunately, Brandon Lee was killed on the set of The Crow. Um, it was tragic and awful, and I remember being shocked by it. Um, it's not like people had not died on sets before, but... You know, given the mysterious death of his father, 
it just felt I don't know it just it just felt so much I felt it deeper I don't know why but you know I'm not going to weigh in on any on any conspiracy theories or anything like that because I don't want to disrespect Brandon Lee's wonderful performance in the legacy that he's left uh, but what I will say is that if there's anything that these last few years have taught us is that life is fleeting and it's it's finite and when I reread the graphic novel then I rewatched the movie you know I'm reminded about this every day but I really was thinking about how we just really need to hold on to those that we love in our lives now you know if we can honor the living with our love and remember the dead with our thoughts and our tears you know maybe that's the best we can do um I don't know. Who knows? Maybe when it's my time, maybe the crow will guide me to the next place where I can meet up with my loved ones. Something good to think about. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to this episode. I know it wasn't very high energy, but I just wanted to introduce you to this film and this graphic novel uh, and some of the thoughts that are there. I mean, you could watch this movie on the surface and think, ah, you know, it's just kind of violent and this and that, but if you dive into the themes that are actually there, I think you can come away with a lot. As always, thank you, fellow Gothics, and be kind to one another. Bye-bye.